Hello and welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, be on the lookout for Rogue Preacher. We mm. are t- going to talk about Night of the Hunter from 1955, starring Robert Mitchum, uh, directed by Charles Lawton, and written by James Agee. Or Agee. We're going to talk about all of them. But before we get started, as is my custom, I would like to ask you how your week was. My week went rather well. We had a really interesting weekend as well. Yep, yep. One of our roommates, my kid, had a birthday, and it was Mother's Day. On Mother's Day. The same day, so we just put it together. Which happens kind of a lot. Like, my birthday falls Mm. on Easter every, like, decade. Uh I feel like their birthday has fallen on Mother's Day, like, six times since I've I've known you guys. But, um, but yeah, it was a really, it was, we had a fun day. We had roaming, literally roaming. I got my first sunburn of the season, it turns out. I didn't realize until literally one minute ago when Ooh. I scratched my neck and I went, ow! It feels like a sunburn. And you quickly went, oh yeah. Oh yes, <laughs> you it's, got a sunburn. It's very visible. So how was your week? I got a sunburn. <laughs> it was good. Uh, I think it was good. Uh, it was nice to get out of the house. We did get out of the house. I don't know. It's been a pretty low-key... Yeah, but we saw some good movies. We ate week. some good food. We went to the actual movies, which we haven't done in a long right. time. Um, and yes. that was good. And um, We ate good food. We ate good food. Um, There's still plenty of it in the fridge. Right. Uh, we saw this movie, which I always enjoy. And, which is weird because it's very scary um, and has a terrible villain in it. And uh, But other than that, it's been pretty low-key. Yes, it has been. It's been a fun low-key. low-key, which is nice, it. yeah. So, you want to get started talking about this movie? Sure. Are you going to lead us? I can lead us. All right. Let's start with this movie um, is... It's based on a book by Davis Grubb uh, that was written in 1953. It's considered a Southern Gothic. Yep, that seems right. This seems like a Southern Gothic tale. And uh, the plot involves a uh, convict pretending to be a prison chaplain after uh, to, to, because he wants to find out where a bank robber has hidden the cash and Yes. So he pretends to be a preacher. He goes to the small town uh, where bank robber had had a wife and two children, and thinks that either one of any one of those could know where the money is. Right. So that's the plot of the book. It's based on an actual uh, criminal, Harry Powers, who was really? in 1932 for the murders of two widows and three children. Oh. Slightly less than the character right. in our thing, but even even in the the, uh, the in the film version, they make lots of references to the fictional character of Bluebeard from Grimm's Fairy Tales. Yeah, they call him Bluebeard a bunch at the end, who uh, was a notorious misogynist and wife murderer. Yeah, and this dude is a misogynist, like a like an incel level, right? A hater of women to the point where, like, it, at the end, we hear, I think, 24 women. Yes, and the addition of Shelley Winter's character makes 25. Makes 25. So he has married 25 widows and killed every one of them. Mm-hmm. Which and, is 
wild. And he is literally mad as a hatter. The man is yeah, criminally he's a, insane. He is not well no. in the head. Um, this movie was directed by Charles Lawton, who you may know if you've seen Witness for the Prosecution or literally any movie from the 50s or 40s. <laughs> and we saw him in Bridge Over the River. No, no, it's not Bridge Over the River Kwai. What am I thinking? We saw him in Spartacus. Spartacus. He was going to be in Bridge Over the River Kwai, but... So he... Did not take the part. Um, this is the first and only movie that he directed, mm -hmm. because this movie, though lauded since, mm -hmm. was not well-loved in its time. It, the, one of the film's uh, creative team, all of whom love Lawton, by the way, there's nothing but praise for his direction, and some sympathy for him because he was very insecure about directing for the first time. Uh, mentioned watching... Even though he was a, fil a, a, a theater director. He was a theater director. So he had, he understood yes. direction. And he'd been on film sets, so he understood a film set. Right. <laughs> yeah. But the idea of bearing all the weight of the film itself was um, difficult for him. Lillian Gish recalls working with him mm -hmm. and how she made a suggestion about how a scene should run and he immediately fell to back into... Do you think it's better? Do you think I'm doing a good job with this? And he wasn't being rude. He really started questioning, oh, that I'm not doing this scene to its ultimate potential. What do you think I should do? And she said from then on, they had to find very artful ways if they wanted to suggest mm. something. So rather than, he was good at, he, he wanted to take suggestion, what he needed to do, what, though, was have a, a foundation. Right. And he didn't feel strong enough in his foundation. That's unfortunate because I will say, this movie looks it beautiful. Is a masterpiece. It is. It is different. It is visually very. It doesn't look like anything else mm -hmm. except maybe, as you say, an Orson Welles, Welles movie, which that's about as highest praise right. as you can give to and somebody. I think that in both cases, these were directors as, we, as we've discussed who both came from theater and who have done experimental theater as well. So there's a lot of kind of. They both seem to realize that there's inherent ability with a film camera to do things you can't do on stage, and they'll push it to the levels of being surreal, which this film obviously does. Yes. It, it is. There are scenes in this that look almost like a shadow play, like, uh -huh. a, like a shadow puppetry thing. Right. And we were talking earlier, and I said, um, I was talking about his use of the color black. Right. Like true black which you don't see a lot, even in black and white films. Right. It's tones of gray films. It's not generally yeah. black and white. And he is using a deep, deep shadow, which makes the, it sort of compresses things to almost like two-dimensional right. effect, which doesn't diminish their menace of those things, typically. Right. Um, and kind of makes it Worse because it almost feels like a child's fairy tale, like a like a story you're telling to a child. And the things that happen to the kids in this movie are terrible, <laughs> terrible. It's it's a very strange combination of, well, no, it's not a combination. How can I put this? It's looking at reality from a children's point of view. So things are cast in literal blacks and whites. Um, the director of photography for this film also worked with Orson Welles. And in the Magnificent Ambersons, I believe, mm. and said that there was that same level of just creativity. It's like you were part of a team and you're all working together mm -hmm. for this film. Mm -hmm. He said it was very similar working with the, both of them. 
And uh, the screenplay, the adaptation was written by James Agee, another person who died the year this movie came out mm. at 41. Yeah. Didn't really find the success in life that he came in the accolades in life that he came to in death. Right. And one of the, he wrote the African queen, the screenplay for that as well, which mm-hmm. was, it's a really uh, amazing screenplay. How he was able to develop these characters that then got developed by these particular pair of actors, Catherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart. But um, yeah, it's a pity because he, he's also uh, renowned for writing some interesting fiction uh, as well. And so that what this film is, is practically, in many respects, it's a horror film. Yes. It's, you're watching a horror film told from the point of view of children. Yes. And so things become put into these sort of, there's like the, these uh, sort of fantasy spectacles that you're looking through. Yeah. Um, real quick on James Agee, I just wanted to say mm-hmm. um, he had, you know, modest success in his life. Um, he had a book published posthumously that won the Pulitzer. Oh. I mean, it's that kind of right. accolade that well, the, he the, just... The Broadway he, composer that we saw that did... Um, yes. Um, Rhett. Right. Yeah. Jonathan... Oh, no. <laughs> Hold on. But there's a very good film about him. Tick, Tick, Boom is the name of the film. <laughs> And uh, the Larson, idea, I believe, is his name. He's struggling and struggling and yeah, struggling Jonathan and working Larson. through his, these issues, his personal issues. He's trying to create something, and then he does it, but he doesn't live long enough to see what an impact he's had on everything else afterwards. So it's just, it's it's one of those cases. Yeah, for he AG. he he dies. Mm-hmm. He died of an aortic dissection the night before Rent began its previews off Broadway. I mean, like yes. The night before, he was about to really see where he had gotten himself. And he, he I mean, you believe that, I'm sure, that he did see it. Right. right? Like, I do. that's. <laughs> that's my thing. That's, you, that's your um, sort of gift with your faith. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so, all right. So, we're going right. to. So, it starts with. A group of children playing. We're given this aerial shot done with a helicopter, I'm sure. That must have been something back then. Jump, 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 jump. And uh, these children are playing. They discover the body of a woman in a barn. Oh, that's right. And yeah. we only see her legs. Yeah. Um, which is good because apparently uh, the, the murderer, Harry Powell, his his uh, modus operandi is to slit women's throat with a switchblade. With a switchblade, yeah. Uh, so we see him driving At along. At which point I just say... Do you want to see a dead body? Right. There's a there is a strange kind of element to Harry. Um, Reverend Harry Powell. He is a preacher, quote unquote. He says, and I guess he's you don't need anything other than your word (laughs) to to be a preacher. I he's driving his car, having a conversation with someone that he believes is God. Claiming that, how many widows have we, um, have you had me given? Or he believes he's getting directions from God. How many right. widows have? Yeah, what's been next there? for me? Another widow. Right. Is is the the tone of the conversation? And he kills them for money. 
because he believes that he's going to use the money to drive around and, and drive around. It turns out the car is stolen, but to do his evangelical work is what he believes. And so he, I'm pretty sure he also just kills them when they force the issue of sex. Right. I think that's because probably what we a trigger. Is he is, and this is when was this film made? Nineteen nineteen fifty five. Fifty five is one of the most sexually fucked up guys. Everyone in this movie has oh, the adults. Nearly everyone has a really weird issue with sex. Well, he immediately he's talking to God about how God hates them things, them lacy things with curls in their yeah. hair and everything. In yeah. the very next scene, he's watching a burlesque show. He's sitting in a burlesque show. Right. Yeah. And is that where he gets arrested? Where he gets arrested yeah. for having stolen the car that that we see him driving. And there's a a moment where he and this is Lawton being cheeky. Mm-hmm. He's watching this dancer and suddenly gets his flick knife goes off by itself in his pocket like yeah. he's having an erection. Right. And that turns out to be his cathartic sexual expression throughout the film. Yeah, because seems. he, even once he marries someone, he, he won't sleep, won't with, sleep them. with them. So he... Um, he's arrested for... Uh, he, he gets 30 days. 30 days. He gets 30 days for stealing a car. Now, meanwhile... <laughs> <laughs> we have Peter Graves, a very young Peter Graves. This, I think, this is the youngest, blondest Peter Graves you've yeah. ever seen, and uh, he has a bunch of money, a gun, and he goes to his house because, and you hear in the background, he has come there with the money that he has stolen from a bank and killed two men. He killed two, yeah, two men in the stealing of it. Uh. To deliver this this money. Now, what he decides to do, everyone, is put the money in his daughter's doll. His daughter. So he's got two daughters or two kids, John and Pearl. Right. Pearl is four, maybe. They both seem. John under is six. maybe eight. Right. Maybe. John's a little bit older, but right. Pearl is very young. Um, puts it in the body of the doll. Swears them both to secrecy. To everyone, including their mother. And I'm like, then what is this money for? He's going to... Which is interesting, because we don't find out right away that it's in the doll. We find that out later. No, you but don't. You he, say, oh, that's what he, he says. Runs, that's where I'll do it. He, you, What you do know is both the kids know where it is. Right. They see him put it, and he says, and you swear to me that you won't tell anybody. So that they're, you know, well, yeah. pretty much by the road, so you know that he did something yeah. involving those two. But why does he swear his son to secrecy even from their mother? Like, why did you bring... And then the police come, uh, they beat him up. They beat him up, so that's right. That, that becomes important because later on you see when it happens a second time, he sees it happening a second time to somebody else. That's right. Somebody who deserves it, that's when he sees it. Yeah, he loses it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, the police beat him up. Um, they would have killed him if it was right. 2023, but it is not. So uh, they beat him up and they take him away. But once again, like, why? what is what is dad's plan? What I don't is think his, dad thought... Very far ahead. I just I don't I don't understand because presumably you stole this money to better your family's life. His motivation is sort of I guess it's angry. This is also a go. This is a period piece, right? Right. This does this this takes place during the depression. During the depression, that's what I thought. Okay. Earlier than the the film is supposed to. 
Because uh, that's important, because you later see them, you know, on horseback and, right. and things like that. And the car is a very, very old car, like a Model T type but car. His, his, when he's taken to court, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, ben, Ben Harper. When he's taken to court, he talks about how he's tired of seeing children starving. And he's tired of seeing the poverty around him. So he stole the money, and it's almost as if the impression is he's going to be a Robin Hood and have it distributed. Right. But he got caught before but he, he got could caught. do that. And he killed two people in the, in right, the, the process. So he gets sentenced to death. Mm-hmm. And then he ends up sharing a... It's wild. He ends up sharing a cell with... A short-timer. Harry like Powell. Harry Powell. So... A man who got 30 days in jail for stealing a car mm-hmm. and a man who got sentenced to death for killing two people and robbing a bank are sharing a cell. What? <laughs> like, that makes zero sense at all. But whatever. I, I, I don't know. Maybe during the Depression there was very little jail. It's, it's hard to tell because, again, I'm looking at this as a part of a California city slicker, so I don't know how things used to run in the past. This was supposed to be at Moundsville Penitentiary, right. a West Virginia penitentiary, Gothic-style prison that looks haunted as hell. <laughs> right. Oh, it is a tourist attraction museum training facility and filming location, because let me tell you, it looks haunted as hell. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it just, it makes no sense. And... Harry is there when Ben gets there, mm-hmm. and Ben is hung in the time Harry like right. it was a the very death penalty. There's no appeal. Mm-hmm. They were like, "You're guilty. You're gonna die." Well, and then they hang him like the he fucking in his hand. It doesn't matter. And so, there's yeah. autom- now. There's automatic mm-hmm. appeal for death penalty. Right. Like you don't even have a choice. If you even if you, you know. Say, yes, I'm guilty, give me the death penalty. I don't want right. to appeal it. There is an automatic appeal. Automatic. <laughs> also, remember, this is the South. Also, right. many a man has been caught with a gun and sentenced to death that didn't actually do right. the crime. That's true. So, In this... fewer white men than black men, to be fair, but certainly a thing that has happened thousands of times. No yes. Yeah. So, but he gets yeah he gets hung immediately. Right. So we, he's dead. One of the things that it's very much like a film noir in that, as you've seen them too. One of the features of film noir is all these side characters. Yeah, there's always half a dozen people who are not necessary to the story, who just show up and comment on things. And one of them is the hangman, mm-hmm. because he's he's hung by the neck until he's dead. Ben Harper is. And we go to the hangman and we see him looking at on his kids and just feeling depressed and sad about the fact that he had to hang this guy. And he becomes a character also later on that we come back to. Then we cut back to the children. Yep, the children. Who are listening to a group of kids singing Hing Hang Hung, See What the Hangman's Done. And then she starts, Pearl starts singing along because she doesn't understand. She's too young to get what on earth is going on. She, the actress is probably five, but the mm-hmm. character acts about three or four. Like, very, very young. Can't say her own name, young. Like, right. she doesn't have the R yet. Now, mind you, she is a beautiful child. She looks like a she doll. literally She's looks like a doll. the most doll-like. Her face is perfectly oval. Right. It's so strange. Um, 
And she's got a doll, and they've got a mom. That mom is played by Shelley Winters. We see in this, I think, some of the training that she did for her big swim <laughs> right. in the uh, Poseidon Adventure. But um, here, she's just a... I, I remember a I read wife, a review a in the widow. film that described her as sexually optimistic, and I thought that's a weird term, but that's that's, that's an right, accurate term. Um, she is in her town, also getting ha- hounded by the the town busybody, Ice Miss Icy. Is it Icy? Easy? What is? I don't remember I how it was her, Icy. I think it is. Um. And just like, how are you going to raise those kids with no man? Is the basically her refrain. Right. Um, and I'm like, well, she did a great job picking the first one, so why don't well, you settle you, down? You hear, the, uh, you hear um, uh, Icy's explanation for that later, too, and it's horrible. Um, and what does she say? She says, uh, no woman gets married for that. No woman really wants to. That's right. I've I just lay there for twenty and years my... and just lay there and think of my cannon all the time. Okay, my cannon. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and she's saying this at a church picnic while her husband's sitting there. Yeah, <laughs> like oh god, poor guy. That's right. So she works. Um, Walter Spoon runs the restaurant in town. Mm-hmm. I see as his wife. She and Willa, mm-hmm. Shelley, Shelley, not Shelley Long, Shelley Winter's character is a is a waitress for them. Uh, and then we have Harry Powell rolling into town. Right. Singing. Always singing. Mitchum sings so much in this. Which is... And he br- sings <laughs> hymns that have had Jesus removed from them. <laughs> which I didn't even realize until, you know, you don't real- I, I don't realize you know the words right. of these songs. I don't know the words of these songs. Until later, when we I have could, somebody singing all over him right. with the real words. I could not ever sing this hymn in church after having seen this leaning, movie. I'm like, leaning, leaning, <laughs> yeah. Lean, and he's sing, got a beautiful voice. He has voice. a beautiful baritone voice. So I'm in preparation for today. I watched a lot of because this is, it is, regarded as in some circles. Along with Citizen Kane, one of the best films ever made, period. It's on the top ten for several top ten it's lists. It's not in the AFI lists mm. other than this one. Right. And I believe he is number 22 in the in the villains list. Okay, hey, the cinema pronounces it number two as the greatest film ever made. Uh, American film ever made. Um, it, it is lauded as one of the best movies of the 50s. Mm-hmm. It has been selected for preservation by the by right. you know the Library of Congress. Um, so yeah. So yeah. So this uh, poor Charles Lawton. I hope he knows. This is <sighs> when I was looking doing the research for this. I saw, as I mentioned to you earlier, William Reed Friedkin and Guillermo del Toro and um, Spike Lee. And then later, Robert Englund and Spike just, Lee does a full homage right. in "Do the Right Thing" to, to Mitchum's character in this movie, right? And so there's just there were all these people going on about this film is a damn masterpiece, and it's a pity that he never directed again, that he was 
so put off but by But it the... sounds also like he didn't enjoy the experience because he didn't feel mm-hmm. he was having significant imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. which is wild. <laughs> I think but he... that's what it sounds like to me. It made him anxious. He didn't think that he was doing the right thing had when he, he obviously was doing the right thing. To, or at least, and that's what one of the uh, the people I was listening to today, I think it was the cinematographer said, this is a film that somebody should have nurtured and tried to help sell or promote. Mm-hmm. And instead, he goes, I was sitting in a screening for this film when the finished product was first done, and I overheard one of the producers turn to another producer and go, it's too arty. No, that's so and stupid. And so they, they kind of thought it was... Yeah. And it's the same thing they said about Wells. It's the same thing they say about several other directors. There's just... It's sad how many people get beaten into the ground with this notion that it's not commercial enough to be successful. We have uh, Harry. He is, with the help of Icy, he's really sidling up to the widow... Yeah. And he's going to present her with, uh, well, he's going to save her soul, basically. Basically, he, he presents himself as an, it's basically the only option she has to raise these kids. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And, like, over, like, within a week, these two are married. Like, she still refers to him as Mr. Powell. I understand right. that times were different, but. Oh my god. Yeah. Um and Icy doesn't help. She's encouraging no, him. No, she's constantly. encouraging it because she thinks that well, first of all, she is enamored of him. Right. Um, may not think of her canning if she had sex with him, right. I think, maybe. Um but he wouldn't. He wouldn't ever. Uh and but they end up getting married. Yeah, the whole town rallies around him. Like and everybody is this enamored is something of him. That we were talking Especially about the women. Too. He seems to have this fascination for women, and which is in, ironic since he himself despises women. It's and interesting, yeah, because I wonder uh-huh. if it is, and and women in the fifties were obviously different than right. women now, or thirties when the story's supposed uh, right, to right. But so. let's say fifties because mm-hmm. I, he, he's also going, he's trying to. The idea is that he would also appeal to the women right. in the audience, mm-hmm. right? Like that is part of it. And there may be something to the idea that he's not after you physically, mm-hmm. at least outwardly. Right. Like that is not like it's not just sex mm-hmm. that that is drawing him to you or whatever. To me, he seems supremely creepy the whole time. Right. But I also have cultivated a pretty good bullshit detector. <laughs> and when he's doing, he does, he has love and hate tattooed on his hands. And he does this, this sort of pantomime. It's not a pantomime. This sort of acting out where he grasps the two hands together. And this is Kane and this, and it looks like hate's going to win, but Oh no, love conquers everything. And like, he does this like little weird wrestling thing. Right. Like, you know, like when you have the oh, look, open it up and right. see all the people. Like it's it's like this weird thing that he's doing, uh, like a patty cake with himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like, 
He's trying very hard to sell the me. story that you're telling mm-hmm. doesn't even hold together in the way that you're telling right. it. But I think and it and it just feels it feels like propaganda. Part of his appeal, <laughs> maybe because it is right. propaganda. Part of and again, we're living in an age where even up in a few years ago there were uh, very infamously, I think, the Enquirer, and it's something that got uh, reused at the beginning of the movie Copycat. Where mm, um, mm-hmm. there is a wall of serial killers or a wall of pictures put up of these guys, how many women would date this guy in the well, that guy is Ted Bundy. Ted, right. Right. Yeah. So the thing is, there's something that. For, of they, hot serial killers. Right, yeah. Yeah. The way they present themselves. And the fact well, that, a lot of them do ingratiate themselves. Right, and that's what he's doing. And he's, that's what gets them. Whether their he victims. believes he's actually talking to some form of God or not. Uh, because he also, at one point, seems to be entranced by the moon in one of the creepier scenes. He's just sort of sitting there, you know, putting his hand between the moon and himself and sort of waving it around. It was very strange. But um, he presents himself as a, per- a man of the cloth, so yeah. therefore he's he has all the good emotional baggage that a person of the cloth should have. He's yeah. trustworthy, he's honest, he's, you know, he's the pillar of the community. He doesn't. He's not sly. In and he anyway. comes in and he says, "I was your chaplain. husband's right. chaplain before he died." Right. And he basically sent me here, which is fucking wild. Look after my loved ones, he says. And and he does it. He does it. Robert Mitchum is a is amazing in this part. He wasn't when the script first came in. For instance, Charles Lawton was fascinated with the character, and he thought. Uh, his, he wanted to do it himself, right? He wanted to do it himself. Yeah. Um, but... I could see anybody of that stature right. reading this and being like, oh, I want to do this. Like, it's a good part. It is really well written, and it is a meaty character to right. get into, for sure. So in Lawton, one, uh, one of the other producers who's pitching the idea to him says, well, um, what we... I, I, that's not going to work because the producers want uh, a, a, what they said was a bankable star, and he's a character actor, Lawton was. And uh, But the same producer said to him, but, you know, there's only one person who can direct this movie, that's you. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, extra points for that, at least. Um, but what I find funny is that there were several people who expressed interest in the part, including uh, John Carradine, uh, including Laurence Olivier, who, but they had to put off. They would have to put off sh- shooting for two years um, to accommodate a schedule because uh, it was so in demand. Right. And then Robert Mitchum, the choice was made because when Lawton was trying to describe the part to him, he says, "Well, this character is a diabolical shit," and Lawton Mitchum raises his hand and goes, "Present." Yep. <laughs> so he he is. Perfect for right. this character, and I'm so glad we uh, like four weeks ago. I think we recommended the Yakuza, the movie mm-hmm. from the '70s, right. um, starring Robert Mitchum. And I'm like, watch these movies back to back, right? Like, watch this movie, right. have him scare the hell out of you, and then watch that movie and go, oh, he was like a real person. Oh <laughs> it's yeah, fine. another film that that actually was one of my mom's favorite, the story of GI Joe. Where he plays just this very weary soldier uh, during the Second World War. He's just—he is yeah. so magnetic. 
Yeah. Like, whatever he's doing, you're like, I'm watching it. <laughs> like, yeah. whatever it is. But he can be very scary. This and Cape Fear, right? Very, very right. scary. But, like, in the, like, especially, in, I haven't seen the G.I. Joe mm-hmm. one, but um, in the Yakuza, I'm like, oh, but, like, he feels yeah, he's things. he's just brokenhearted in that film. And he goes through the entire movie brokenhearted. And you see him develop some sort of a hope that he's going to rekindle this love affair from yeah. years and ago. And then you watch just... it disintegrate when right. all the violence happens. He's like, well, that's that then, I guess. Yeah. That's so good. He's, yeah, he's just amazing in this. So the diabolical shit, uh, <laughs> he, yes. he marries the Widow Harper. The Widow Harper. And then proceeds to really ingratiate himself with Pearl. Yes. Now... He he really jumped. John always is like, I don't trust this motherfucker. Right. Because he just came out of nowhere and makes these claims He's about right. being his dad's friend. But then he does push John. Not when his mom's around, mm-hmm. but when Pearl is around. To give up the where the thing is. Right. He tells Willa that Ben said that it was thrown in the river. Tied it to a rock. And Tied it to a rock and threw it in the river. And 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 John knows that that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Knows that that's not what he told him. And knows that that's not what happened. Because he knows where the money is. Willie doesn't know where the money is, right. once again. Why would you not want your wife to know? It puts her in danger. But also, it might give her a means of escape. Yes. I think, it was, <laughs> again, it was he got caught before he got back home to hide it himself. He didn't trust her because, as as we see, she's not great at making decisions. And again, this is not... I, I want people to understand, so far it sounds like the female characters in this movie are either dumb or they're... Like they're or ne- just oh, it's just so naive. Like, right. Pearl's not dumb. She's four, and she wants a dad. Right, but I mean, between like, the harpy Icy Spoon... Oh, well, Icy is... Yeah. And, and Willa, we're looking at... But... Wait, because yes. you also get later on this film one of the strongest female characters you'll see in a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Period. So th- there's this tug of war. Uh, Willa goes the- on their wedding night and mm-hmm. presumes that she is going to do marital things with her husband, right. and he is like, "No, gross." Right. The- do you? Women's bodies are for having children. Do you want more children? She's like, no. And he goes, then the, this marriage is to raise those children, not to make new ones. Don't touch me. Now and you can get in bed. This is <laughs> one of, their bedroom is photographed. It's in the garret of the house. Mm-hmm. And it's photographed in a very theatrical kind of way. And the is, way that this scene is shot, uh-huh. and the way that the scene where he, spoiler alert, kills her is shot, right. the room looks completely different. Right. The, it's laid out differently. Like, I don't... It's, it's, it's designed... And it's what I find interesting about it is that it's in the garret of a house, so there's these peaked those portions peaked roof, yeah, are masked off, right? And so, and there's light from a single window, and it is designed to intentionally remind you of a church, like this is the demented church of his imagination or something. And there's a lot of that kind of thing. There's a similar scene later on in in a basement, where portions of the screen are masked off so that all of your attention is there. Uh, there's a scene, for instance, when uh, Harry is asking for the chil- children, children, and <laughs> it's just so, and he's so calm all the time, right? 
that that's what like makes it particularly he's like calm until he he's isn't. like he's like this thing that like he's like the it follows right. like he's just this present it's not he's not gonna run uh, he's not gonna hurry but he knows he's gonna catch up with you and uh, when he does he's gonna stab you with his little knife and, and the thing is there'll be scenes when I say that until he isn't there moments when he just lets loose and literally becomes like an animal he starts howling and wailing there's a couple of scenes where he does that. But yeah. for the most part, he's just really, as you're saying, very, very chill. This is just very matter of fact, but there's an underlying menace to everything that he does. Yeah. Uh, but what I was going to describe before is that when he's calling for the children, Lawton uses a iris on the screen and directs our attention to the basement. And that's like such a theatrical thing to do. Yeah. Almost like a silent movie thing to do. And I know that he... um he spent a lot of time when he was preparing to direct watching D.W. Griffith's films. Griffith was an asshole. We know this. But at the same time, he did invent a lot of what we still use yeah. in cinema. The same way that Orson Welles studied John Ford before he directed Citizen Kane. He's like, I want to watch somebody who really knows what they're doing. And that's probably why Lillian Gish is in this movie. Because Lillian Gish was a longtime favorite of, uh, of D.W. Griffith. Right. But... Anyhow, so there's he's Harry is rejected the the mom, right? Shelly yeah. Winters. And she goes into this weird sort of tent revival. Yeah, frenzy. she's she's like, Yeah, I he uh, basically he's been sent here to like cleanse me because it's my fault that my husband robbed this bank because I I badgered him for pretty dresses and things. And I'm like, Did you though? Uh, I bet you didn't, but I bet this misogynistic asshole has convinced you that you did. Because she just doesn't seem like the type. We never see their interactions, though. Mm -hmm. We never see them interact a single time. Right. Ben and Willa. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that the, the because the only time we see Ben is with the kids, and then the police, and then Robert Mitchum, and then he dead. I think maybe there's like a couple of seconds in one scene where he proposes to her. Um. And that's it. If that, I'm trying to remember that. If that, um. yeah. So, but she goes on this, and she like starts dressing real modest, mm -hmm. like very buttoned up and everything. Um, now, at this point, we discover where the the money is. Yeah, it's hidden in the doll because fucking Pearl, Pearl takes it out and starts making paper dolls out of it. Hundred dollar bills, mind you. <laughs> okay, this is ten thousand dollars. During the Depression in the 30s, okay? Yeah, so 30, this, is, this is so much money. And then she's like, I, I've sinned. I did a bad thing. I took the money at the dollar. And she's such a, you want it like, oh, you you, you poor thing. You, you, I don't believe in corporal punishment, but this, God, child, you could have gotten this killed. And Yeah, it's like a quarter million dollars. Right. Like today. That's, that's yeah. the amount. That's what we're talking about. And Harry almost discovers where the money is then. Yeah, because and uh, but John says I'm helping Pearl put away her stuff because Mom doesn't like when it's out. Which I mean that that makes sense. And then he puts it, but he is he is starting to ask mm -hmm. questions. And then he and John has no cool. John cannot. Right. He won't say anything, but he can't keep his cool because he. I think Harry just looks at Pearl and John starts screaming. You swore. And I'm well, like, I think that well, now everyone knows that y'all On top of being from a children's point of view, one of this movie's gifts is that the 
we can see the parents in both kids. Pearl is like her mom. Yeah. She's way too trusting. Yeah. And and John is like his dad, which is he's a hothead who jumps into things without yeah. thinking. And I thought that was really clever because, oh, okay, now I see the whole dynamic of what their relationship was like. Yeah. Uh, the parents. Um, at some point, Harry kills... So, right. Um, she hears him yeah. asking Pearl where the money is. And then sh- that night she's laying in bed and he comes in and he, she's like, you're here for the money. And uh, Harry goes, stick, and then does stab, stab, and then does tie her to a car and put her in the river. No. I should mention Shelley Winters has a great moment when she walks in and overhears this happening. Mm-hmm. And the look on her face is priceless because you can tell she's like not comprehending her character, not understanding what she just heard. And she's even smiling at him like, what are you doing? I, and no, it's... Yeah. She's comprehend. She has to put it together. But she really believed that he was there to right. save her. And them. And now that's clearly not true. Right. And, oh, fuck, I married this man. And but, he's around my kids. But it's almost like you see the things falling into place. It's not as if she's making an expression that tells you that. It's that no. she's shocked. No, but that night... Mm-hmm. Is when... she And she's already right. given up. Yeah. She is, y'all, the worst mom. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I... I'm not a parent, so I don't like judging parents, but the the parents it's fair the in parents case. in this movie are fucking terrible. Mm. She does. She confronts him laying in a prone position. She's not gonna fight. Right. I'm like, you just laid there so he would kill you. Like, I don't know that she she thinks that he's a murderer, but what does she think? She's literally laying down when right. she confronts him. It's a wild choice. Well, she winds up, given the sort of, uh, you know, the sort of church design of the, the garret. Yeah. It's, it, she looks like a human sacrifice is what she, she does. does. She's almost like cr- arms crossed right. over her chest. Like, it's, it's wild. And you don't actually see him stab her. You mm-hmm. see him get his knife and walk towards her and mm-hmm. hold it up. But you don't see her. Now, mind you, this is also when she's describing things to him about how she feels that it's too much for her to bear. And at the same time, he's ignoring her and just Mitchum's character is looking at the moon through this window and with his literally looking loony. Yeah. It's, it was really weird. Yeah. The scene is very poetic, followed by another really poetic uh, shot, which everyone remembers, which is her body. So, yeah, we next see Uncle Birdie, uh-huh. the town drunk, who is very sweet. Um, and he is in his boat fishing, and he looks down, and he sees her floating. Uh-huh. But she's tied to the car. The car is underwater too, and um, we then we see him just drinking and drinking and drinking. And he's like, "She's she's got a like a throat like another mouth, another kind of. mouth." So previously, right before this, we hear that 
uh, Powell goes to um, Walter and Icy and says, she up and left. She's mm. a tramp. She, you know, she left me to go have sex and gamble, basically, and go to dens of iniquity. Um, and now I'm left here with these kids. And, uh, and it is clear because Bertie sees the, uh. the cut in her throat. Because I was like, oh, is he going to blame this on the fact that she was drunk, mm-hmm. and she drove off the road into the river. Right. But that's real hard to do when she's tied to, to the fucking right. thing, and her throat is slit. But yeah, it's the clearest river that you ever did see, because he can see it from the top. I'm like, well, that's not... He's an idiot. <laughs> well, I mean, normally when he kills a woman, he just moves the fuck on. Mm-hmm. He's not doing that now, because right. he's but still he also plans for like the money. that night he's, he makes his big move to get the money from the kids. Yes. So he plans this to be a really short time. Yeah. But that shot is really remarkable, and everyone who sees that film goes, yeah, that, that image stays with you. Yeah, she's like floating. She looks like almost like an angel. But then and that's I made the joke. I was like, mm. oh, this is where she got her underwater. Because, you know, she's a champion swimmer, and right, the Poseidon Adventure could hold her breath forever. This is why. Because that's actually her. Right. You know, down it, it there. Is a, it's a remarkable <laughs> shot, and it's funny because... Going over, as I said, all these famous directors and also just some everyday um, film viewers, they all single that shout out with like, oh, that's creepy and and it's really beautifully done at the same time. And it doesn't linger too much, but it's just a beautifully composed shot. After that, Harry finds out where the money's hidden. From the kids, and this is also where you see him turn on Pearl, because Pearl is minding John. He's telling her, "Don't pay attention to John. John is nothing to us." Right. You yeah. Can tell me. And then when she gets upset because he's threatening John, yeah, with his knife, he's now just like he's lost. Yeah, all he's a, he's a, it's just him and the kids now. Right. So yeah, I don't have to fucking tiptoe around them. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna torture out the the information that and I want, I'm and then I'm him. gonna fucking kill him, and then right. I'm gonna bounce with my money. Yeah. And when he does, Pearl turns on him, but he says, you know, you ungrateful, disgusting wretch. So he all this time he did, there's not a single female character in this movie that he does like. No. It's he only. No, he's a true misogynist. He, he goes along to get along because they trust him, and then he does horrible things. But the kids are able to get away from him. Yeah. And this is one of those moments where you see it snap and he's making these weird kind of animal noises. But uh, John and Pearl escape the basement where they've let him. They slam the door shut on his hand. They run down to go talk to... Um, Bertie. Bertie, who is, as an outcast and as a town drunk, is really concerned that he'll get blamed for this murder. Yeah, he thinks if if he tells about what he saw in the river that they'll blame him, which right. is... Wild. Because, what? <laughs> well, he's, he seems look, to be... Look at him. Right. That man did not slash anybody's throat and then tie her to a... Uh, uh, if he was going to kill somebody, uh-huh. it wouldn't be a, some one slash to the throat. Mm-hmm. It would be like... 
it would be like I accidentally smothered her trying to keep her quiet. Right. It's, he's that kind of killer. Right, but he's not even a. Well, but he's not a he's killer. Not a killer at he's all. not. He's moping over his dead wife. And he lives. Yes, alone in he's so sad, house. and he's just. And, and he takes John fishing because right. John doesn't have a dad anymore. Exactly. He's just like. A very he's like so character. sweet, and but he's just like they're gonna they're gonna pin like, this on me if I say anything. Most of the adult characters in this story, he's. This is gonna sound mean, but. He's not up to it when the actual thing needs to be done. No. And so he's just drunk himself into oblivion. However, the boat that we earlier in the film found out that he was caulking. Yeah. Together with John as a project. Yep. You know, again. He's ready to, to go. Let's go. We got out of the river. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. And he just barely, John and Pearl barely escape. Um, Preacher Prowl. Or, uh, he must not be able to swim. Yeah, because but right because if I'm if I'm rowing a boat on a river, which is what they're doing, they're rowing a boat on a river. Um, and you just I could dive into the water and swim after you faster than you can row. You're a kid. Now, mind you, also it's they run through this very muddy bank, and I think that's part of it. Is that is that uh uh. He Harry, was sort of being loses where they are. He's like yeah. slipping and gotcha. he's also sinking in the mud. He may he also not it. want to get in that river because he does know that there is a dead body in it. Right. And so yeah. then we're treated to these really beautifully composed shots again of this boat going down the going river. Going down the river, yep. All these small creatures that are keeping watch over them, it seems. This is a very long... It's not very long. It's like five minutes. Uh-huh. A section of the movie that makes you think that they got so far. Y'all, mm-hmm. 10 miles? They go 10 miles down the river. It takes like two days. Right. We see them sleeping, like, in the sleeping in the boat. We see them sleeping in a, don't they get, go into a barn at they one point? They go into a barn. They, um, they actually, there's one of the references to the outside depression, which is a bunch of kids are wandering the countryside. Yeah. They go to this woman's house. They're begging for right. food. And... Pearl and John get a potato each. A potato each. each. And the the woman is like, I, I can't give you anything else. And then he's like, where are your parents? And they're like, we don't have any. And she's like, you could just go. Like, I can't. Right. But this is what drove, supposedly, drove their dad to, right. the, to, to do what, what he did. That's what we're saying. The inspiration was for what he did was just, like, there are gangs these of These kids, kids that just don't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, well, they're, think about it. Right. This man single-handedly has killed 24 widows. How many of those had kids? Right. Probably not all, but certainly some. And now they're just orphans. Yeah. <laughs> like, this single-handedly is doing a bunch of this. <laughs> but we, they eventually um, come to, a, they get stuck in the reeds. And, well, there's also a very sweet moment where we hear a song about uh, a pretty fly they got attracted to a spider, and that's the metaphor for the film again. And the girl playing Pearl, the uh, the actress, yeah. actually had uh, won a singing competition, and the original track for the film is her voice. Oh, interesting. And she has a really lovely, clear voice, but uh, the producers... Which is wild, because she can't pronounce her own name. Right. It's fine. Uh, the Unless that's acting. Well, Maybe she's acting. Also be acting, and it also <laughs> is her trying the southern accent. That's true, yeah. So... Um, the uh, the producers insist on having an older woman's voice, so it sounds like they're being serenaded along the river, which isn't quite as effective, probably. But 
eventually they get stuck in these rushes and they get discovered by uh, Lillian Gish. Yes. Who plays Rachel Cooper. And she collects orphans. Right. <laughs> and she, the thing that the lady with the potatoes could not do, right. she does. She very quickly toots, puts the, the girls in her house. She has two that she's living with. or Three, three I think. Three yeah, I think it's three. There's two in the first time that we see. Yeah. And they immediately get to work on these girls. Go get me the, 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 the clothes soap or something. And they're, she gives the kids a bath. And John tries to run away and she literally turns him over her knee and spanks him. And gets him to go back up. You know, she's raised yeah. by hand. Very old school. Yeah. But when she first gets them out of the boat, she chases them. Up, don't make me use the switch. It's very funny. Because at first you're thinking she's going to be abusive. It's like, no, she's not. Is this before or after the horse thing? This is, I believe it's after the horse thing now that I mentioned. Okay, because I want to talk about the horse thing. So okay. one of the things we see as the kids are traversing mm-hmm. on the on the river, they when they decide to sleep in the boat at one point. Right. They hear leaning, <laughs> leaning, and then he's coming, and you can see him on the horizon. And this is where, like I said, Charles Latin uses black. It it almost looks like a shadow play. Right. The silhouette of the man on the horse with the hat, just singing and coming along. And you well, found it, something it else about really that. Leads a really interesting. See, because John's like, doesn't he ever sleep? It's like he's just that yeah, relentless. He just never, yeah, he's and never And we also stops. learn from Icy and uh, her husband, because we cut back to them, that he thinks, uh, what's the husband's name? I always, Walt. Walt says, you know, I hope gypsies didn't get to them. You'll forgive me for using the term. Yeah. And and she's like, oh, you and your gypsies. And, no, 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 no. Yeah. He says, but somebody killed uh, a local farmer and stole his horse, and then of course we see we see him on a horse. Because but... you can't just take a horse; you have right. to kill the person who. All right. So he, what if that scene was done on a stage, like most of this was done on a stage, a sound stage. And what I learned from listening to Robert Mitchum discuss it is, this is he calls a midget is what he says on a midget horse. Now, of course. This is years ago. And a dwarf fall out of favor. on a pony. Right. <sighs> is what he's talking about. They're actually, and they're on the set with the kids. So it's like a forced perspective right, shot. exactly. And it, that is like such Because he looks like a quarter mile away. Right. And actually he's not at all. He's less than 100 But you away. could hear him. Right. There's a lot of great stuff like that. There's the, the first Where time. Where he's just coming. Like right. it follows. He's just... Or Michael Myers. He's right. just coming. The first scene that you see where the kids first meet the preacher, uh, John and Pearl share a bedroom, and they're talking, and they see a shadow looming up in the wall from the street lamp outside. Yeah, yeah. And it's impossible for the street lamp to have thrown that shadow, but, again, this matter. is a kid's view of the world. Yeah. So, anyhow, that was a neat... I, I, I learned that today, and I thought, that is a really neat piece of film craft. That's the kind of thing that you had creativity that you had to have when you were doing practical effects as opposed to yeah now but anyhow so now they're adopted and they're under the the auspices of miss lillian gish right who is a ferocious little woman who walks with her chin up and her back very straight and a rifle not right. too far from where she is rachel cooper is her name did we right. say that rachel cooper yes yeah and that she's now looking after them she is. And she looks after strays. <laughs> she is very much 
the spiritual opposite of yes of uh, Harry Powell. She believes in the Bible, right? All of it, <laughs> including the New Testament part. So when Harry Powell shows up uh-huh. singing his song, right? She sings it too, and she adds. Apparently, the words aren't just leaning, leaning. Right. They're leaning with Jesus. Right. Or is it into Jesus? Le- leaning, um, yes, because he's singing, leaning on the everlasting arms, leaning with Jesus. She's actually just... So, like, right. he just pulls out the the the, the word leaning, right. leaning, every time he sings it, right? And she's singing over him, right. leaning with Jesus, mm. leaning with Jesus, like in the same time, right? right? But all the words, because <laughs> he yeah, and they form a kind of that scene is remarkable because they form a sort of a duet, yeah. But they're both like they are, and I appreciate but that it's about pulling. This they're pulling. It's right. not. They're not. Yeah, it's not a, a coming together duet. No. It's it's like a battle. It's yeah. they're fighting. Yes, it's a really interesting scene, but and she's a really interesting character because she doesn't, she, she is really formidable as a character. She takes care of these kids, she cleans them up, she, she doesn't press John for any information. Nope. Doesn't care where he came from. Nope. Doesn't care where Pearl because comes I from. think she also understands that kids that are on their own. Mm-hmm have seen some shit. Right. And probably can't really deal with telling you about that shit. Right. They will tell you... In their own time. ...when they can. Right. They can't right now. But she has... This this, is fucking fresh. This little cottage by the river. Yeah. She grows vegetables there. They sell their vegetables in market. Yep. And that's basically the life that she has. And And she she puts these kids to work. Like, she's teaching them how to do things, like make pot holders. They're they're learning to crochet. Like, they're learning needle crafts and things. They're learning how to grow food. Like, they're learning important skills. And she uses that labor to increase her supply so that she can take care of those kids. Like, yeah. There's, it's, she is very much... Yeah, she's like the opposite of Harry, and at the same time, she's actually living her Christianity, as opposed to whatever the hell he's doing. Yeah. Um, so, as the story goes along, she forms a relationship with John, where he, little by little, begins to tell her more of what's mm-hmm. going on, because he re- she reads them Bible stories, kind of very folksy versions of Bible stories, um, at night, and... They begin He's to, like, but what about, and right. how about, and what if I think this? And she doesn't mind that at all. She no. invites all that kind of business. Because, once again, mm-hmm. she understands that these kids have seen some right. shit. And she also understands the Bible is a book. We live in a world. Right. And this world is fucked up. Right. In the Depression, it's harsh. So we got to temper one with the other, and vice versa. But, so. Yeah, the, the way that she brings him into it is very sweet. Meanwhile, evil Harry is the worst. Has targeted one of the children on her farm, who's a young girl, who is kind of she has self-esteem issues. I don't know what she went through, but she goes into town, and there's a couple of layabout, feckless young men who like trying to get her attention and getting her ice cream, and God yeah. knows what they're doing with her. But Harry shows up, buys her an ice cream. 
buys her a Hollywood magazine so she can look at all the pictures of the stars. Yeah. And flirts with her and gets all Gross. the information he can. Yeah. Um, and then comes by later to... Uh, check on... Just check on those kids. Right. He comes by and is like, have you seen my kids? And what At I which love, point she picks up a gun. Right, because she... she um, John calls John over there, John and Pearl, and uh, Harry goes into his whole spiel, oh, these poor lost little lambs. I yeah. really, you know. And now even Pearl is like, fuck this dude. Right. <laughs> like, Pearl yeah. don't want to even want to deal with it. When uh, when he says, oh, he's asking for John to come to him, uh, Rachel, is it Rachel? Yes. No. Yeah. Rachel. Rachel, yeah. Says, uh, mind your dad. And he goes, she's not my dad. Not my dad. And then it takes her a split second and goes, you know what? And he's no preacher either. Yep. And then when So he's, he's just lied about every right. piece of his identity. And when she, when he starts motioning towards getting, just pulling them just by force, them, right. she comes up with a shotgun that is longer than she is tall, probably. Yep. And immediately points it at him. And he loses his shit again and just says, well, the Lord God Jehovah is going to come down wrath, which again... To which she says, come at me, bro. Right. She basically is <sighs> like, ah, I got me, I got Jesus, and I got this gun. And right? I got this gun. And I'm weirdly not tired. Right. So I will be up all night protecting these children. Right. And that and she does to the scene that we saw, we talked about earlier. Because um, he comes back that night and he's trying to scare her, but she doesn't scare and she, she actually... Because she, too, has seen some shit. Right. <laughs> she, she, we know that she has a son somewhere that is basically possibly sends her money to help along, yeah. but doesn't actually see her. So she has these kids that she takes care of in, in, that, in their place. Um, and she literally is marching back and forth in the kitchen like she's a soldier, which I thought was really cute, yep. too. And then... Yeah, a little about face. <laughs> right. Like a little, yeah. And then when he does try to, when he gets impatient and tries to break up the house, she shoots him, injures him, and he howls out and makes this real wild yeah. kind of, like, wounded animal. Like an animal, yeah. Screeching noise. And then she, when she does what somebody in this film, and I, watching, you know, the, the Gen X, Gen Z and Gen Y review of this film. Oh, yeah. They're like, God, she's, the, you know, Abuela, because that's what they call her, Abuela is the first person to actually call the cops. In this entire film. Yes. But, you know, every time somebody finds out what's but going on. But now. Right. She has actionable. Right. This man tried to break into my house and take these kids. Exactly. And I don't know who the fuck he is. He's not the But man. he isn't their dad. So. And they are afraid of him. Right. And he just tried to. Yeah. Do you want to see the broken uh, window on my door? And also that horse might belong to somebody who died. Right. Because that's, I think, why. What she. Like. She well, she's go. She, I loved her. She calls the cops and says, "Sheriff, such and such, I've got something in my barn." She didn't even call him a person. So that's right. So it might be a raccoon. I'm <laughs> not sure. So they come to pick him up, and this is when they they're roughing him up. And at this point, they know right. they found the they found Willa. Yeah, they did. That's and true. so they are looking for him for the murder of Willa. Mm -hmm. So yay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I guess maybe 
Pappy out there on the riverboat kind of sobered up enough to say something. I think maybe anybody was on the river and looked down and went, holy shit, there's a lady in there right. because the the water was so clear. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can see it from the fucking like banks. <laughs> he didn't. He wasn't trying to hide. It was like the woman in the barn at the at the beginning, right. or the chicken coop not, at the beginning. He just He's not trying to hide. Right. He's just trying to hide long enough to get get out of there. Like, and, and again, this is the 1930s. Where this is the time where you move five miles down the road, you change your right. name, and nobody knows who the fuck you are, and then you start a new life. You're right. Excuse me, Hester Prynne, why didn't you do that? Okay. I'm sorry. It's right. it's a stuck so, it's stuck really hard in my craw. But S- yeah, so then the police are arresting him, and that's when John loses his ever-loving Be- Because he mind. sees them, and he remembers his He's, dad his getting dad beaten up and arrested by the cops, and that's when he loses it, grabs Pearl's doll. And, and beats just, him with it and says, take the money, take it, is this what you want? Right. And so on the one hand, we are sad because... All of it was for nothing, all that, what his dad did. But at the same time, his dad did kill two people to do this. Yeah, they definitely, the cops definitely took that money, huh? I don't know. They, def- <laughs> they, de- they definitely but fucking the did. Is, they definitely know, did. I don't know if they could, because at this point, when what it becomes, they become aware of who these two kids are, right? Because they're still very famous along the way. They're going to know who these kids are because they know who this dude is. And they know who the wife was. And they know, right. So I don't think they can take the money and make get away with it. No, 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 no. They could take it as evidence. Right. Oh, well, okay, there we are. This is is bank robbery money. Minus the ones that are dolls now. (laughs) But But I'm pretty sure that that money is removed from the situation. (laughs) Yeah, but that scene is... It's and then it probably goes missing. He he probably, <laughs> I felt like John had a moment where he recollected what happened with his dad. It's yeah. just too much, and something I yeah. mentioned to you also. I mean, he's seven or whatever. Right. He, he, he it's too much to ask this kid. It's to do. way too much. It was too much of a burden, and the kid actor gives a really good performance. Like this is just his breaking point. Although this is the, I mean, the depression is still the time when public parks were built for kids. To give them some respite after their factory shifts. Right. I mean, we were asking too much of kids yeah, no, for I understand so that. long. But especially looking at it through a modern point of view, this was too much to ask this little boy yes, to take care of for his sure. young sister. Yeah. With you know who, who's he's, easily swayed. He's not an adult. He's right. a child, and, they and he needs to be a child. An adult job. Yeah. Um, that even his own mother couldn't. And we keep do. no. Yeah, no. All, all the parents in this movie are terrible, except. Lillian Gish, who's not actually a parent, but parents better than anybody right. well, you know, who purports to be a parent. Go to hell, Marjorie Taylor Greene. An adopted parent is a parent. Is a par- yeah, what the fuck? I, mm. I mean, seriously, yeah. Because using that logic, then both Pharaoh, who adopted Moses, and Joseph, Joseph. who adopted Jesus <laughs> I was going to say, Joseph is going to fall into that category, right? Father, so, yeah. No, never yeah. mind. No. Anyhow, so, <laughs> the... He's taken into the hospital. Uh, he's not, excuse me, hospital. He's taken into, Harry is taken into prison, and he's going to be hung very quickly. And Rachel is in town with the kids because she's led them to uh, into court. They have to testify. Yeah, they're supposed to testify. Right, yeah. and John can't bring himself to even look at nope. 
But there's so much evidence against him. And they let him. They let him go. They ask him. They they want him to testify, but when he gets on the stand, he just, right. He can't because he's a child. And it's going to be Christmas time, and it's, this is not the Christmas memory you want to have. Meanwhile, Icy is in the oh in the God. wings, screaming, yes. "Bluebeard, Bluebeard, hang old. him, she, hang him!" She, she looks she, very drunk. <laughs> By the way, like she does. She's got her water schnapps in her hairs. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and she's she. Is you would now, think that he raped and murdered her, right? Like that's how mad she is. But what he did is that I get the impression that Icy was like not only the center of gossip, but the center of life in that tiny little town they mm-hmm. came from, and it was her reputation was trusted, and she was the woman who everyone looked because he saw that at the picnic, yeah, uh, scene. So now her word is just well. Now she has mud. to be. She has to be the most vocal against him because she right. was the most vocal for him right, to exactly. get any of that back. She got Willa killed. Yeah, hundred percent. And she put these kids through hell. Yeah. And so she now it's drink like, that shops and ain't gonna make it better. Right. right. But I think Willa's that still dead. It completely demolished her kind of reign over this town. Yeah. As the town, you know, the the, the resource of the town or the the village that. Everyone went to to ask questions about what do I do about my my husband who wants to have sex, whatever. Anyhow, think of canning. So they are a, almost a lynch mob. Yeah, um, and then we and cut, he's led away, and right, he, and we cut back convicted. to the hangman who we saw at the very beginning uh, of the film. Mm-hmm. Was like, oh, this time I'm going to enjoy it. This guy deserves this it. This guy deserves it. And then we cut to the scene with uh, the it's kids. Christmas, and they've they're giving her their gifts, and they gave her pot. Potholders, so much better than last year's. Right. And um, then John goes into the other room and takes a doily and wraps an apple in it. It's very sweet because he's like, I don't have anything. (laughs) Like, I literally am an orphan child with nothing. Um, And then she, but she says, you know, it's the best present that she could possibly get. And and then they all, um, she says, your 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 presents are in the cupboard. Right. In the other room. And then she says what she's been saying the whole time, her little mod- motto, which is where uh, the Coen brothers actually right. got it, which is that children abide. No matter what happens, they abide. Right. And so as the dude abides, <laughs> children abide. And I'm just like, well, this is because they don't know what suicide is. <laughs> like, <laughs> these kids are going through it. Um, and then that's the end. That's so the end you, is it thrilling? Of course it is. Yes, it is. It's a thrilling movie. Never has a baritone been so frightening. He is really, He's really incredible. Good. And the fact that Lillian Gish gets to balance him out, too. Uh, Pearl almost ruins it for me. Like, some right. about that little girl creeps me out in a, in a, in a way where I'm like, mm, it's okay, just, she doesn't have to be part of this. Which is, Uncharitable. Um, but I think the kid that plays John is very, very good. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Mitchum and um, and and Lillian Gish are phenomenal um, sort of adversaries. Right. It's really good. Yeah. It it's is. very thrilling. It is. And, and it's really, again, her part, she... I also forgot how long it was after they leave. Right. Like... For whatever reason, I think about the whole beginning of like the first hour mm-hmm. and kind of forget that it's 45 more minutes of them on the river staying yeah. with this woman. Like, it's maybe not. Maybe it's like a half an hour. Right. But it's 
it's a goodly chunk of the film. Yeah, there's a, a whole third actor uh, to the film, which it, is them finding a place to be right, finding some a place protection. To, it's, yeah. it's actually in that respect, it does. It's a really it comes to this sort of lovely conclusion where they're safe and you can, you know, finally breathe on there. But we have a friend, a children's author, as a matter of fact, Liza Fernihow. Yes. Uh, who talks about she can't, she couldn't take children's books where children were in danger. Yeah. I'm like, oh God, never see this movie. It's good. No, it's, yeah. Cause the, it's a specific there are, thing. There's breath escapes in this film. But these kids barely get away with their lives. And you see just tons of just... Poor orphans roaming the countryside, right. like, without shoes or food. Like, that's terrible. Yeah. And the menace towards them, the specific menace, the monster, so to speak, is really monstrous. He is. Yeah. Because he just doesn't yeah. see... He's a psychopath. Just yeah. pure psychopath. So, yep. No, it's a great, it's a great, great film. I'm glad... I really like the fact that we've gotten to see some of the, the, the best films of all time. In this list, so far we've seen um, the Third Man, and we've seen this, and we're going to be seeing a couple more, I think, before Manchurian Candidate is coming up. I'm very happy yeah. to see that, which is another just this brings us film. the beginning of the end of May. So, do you want to talk about what we're doing sure, in June? Let's talk about June. All right, up next in June, which is a five movie month. Five movies. First up, 1993. Mm-hmm. We were just in 1993 with Jurassic Park. That would be 1993 with The Fugitive. Okay. It was The One-Armed Man. Yes. I don't know that I've ever seen The Fugitive all the way through. <laughs> so. Then, uh, we're going back to Hitchcock mm-hmm. with 1951's Strangers on a Train. Which is a lovely, well, lovely movie for this kind of demented thing, yes. Uh, follow, uh, followed then by 1977's Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh-huh. which I'm very excited about because I have never seen that movie. Um, the, ba- la- the the last two movies are mm-hmm. going to be um, retreads, uh, so we'll do little pieces on them, but they mm-hmm. are The Deer Hunter from uh-huh. 1978 and The Shining from 1980. Okay. So we will be talking about how those fit into the thrill list and re-airing our several years old episodes yes. on those two films. It was so long ago. And that gets us through June. Um, in the meantime, so mm-hmm. next week, The Fugitive. The Fugitive. With Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford. In the meantime, do you have recommendations? Why, yes, I do. <gasps> Wait. On Saturday morning, we saw a film. Oh, okay. It's a current. It's not a late. It's a current film, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Volume 3. Volume 3. Um, it is lovely. It is really... It's a... How do I put it? I don't want to spoil anything. But it is incredibly well written. It, it was, in, in some ways, it's very much like a discussion I had with a friend about Black Panther, which is it didn't need to be as good as it was. Fair, yeah. Because you could have done basically a middling movie, but because you've been with these characters over three films, over, this is the third film in, what, ten years, you've kind yeah. of grown up with them, and as long as it sort of maintained that sort of pace of 
character development and whatever else, you would go, oh, that was a good movie. Yeah. But this film just hit it out of the park. James Gunn makes good movies. Yes, and it's funny because I remember him as a horror film director doing these sort of... And it reminds me in some ways of Peter Jackson, where some oh, yeah. of the movies he did were just in really awful taste, and it's like, what the hell is he doing? And then he's able to go, this film has so much heart in itself that where was this guy hiding? But I guess maybe it was less commercial, and now that you've had a certain level of success, you can do something like this. But it is, for those of you who are sensitive to it... Oh, um, animal abuse. Right, this is... And also, the PG-13, take that shit seriously. This movie, watch this movie before you have kids under 16, I would say, watch it. And maybe if you have sensitive kids, all the way up to 18... Watch the movie and then decide if the kids can watch it. Be the guidance in the parental However, guidance. None of it is done frivolously. No, it but really, it is yes. really heavy themes. It is really. I think I was crying about twenty percent of the movie. Well, like yeah, yeah. It, it's the film. If it's any clue, is and this is something that James Gunn has admitted to. It's referencing The Island of Dr. Moreau by H.G. Wells, which was about a doctor who vivisects animals to bring them into some sort of semblance of humanity and trying to create a society. And that's what this villain does. I never found Thanos to be frightening. This character was really, really scary. He... Because he's just... He's rich, he's entitled, and he has no... There's a scene there, we discussed it, where he just shows that he has no humanity at all. No humanity at all. None at all. You know, he's obsessive about this one idea that he has. Um, and so, yes, the film is violent. It's unexpectedly violent at times. Uh, but the characters that you've kind of taken this trip with really come to realizations. And by the end of the film, there's like a moment, which is the moment that choked me up, where they're just of like pure joy. That yeah. In the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it was the song that you'd had stuck right. in your head for however long. The music is, as always, great right. in this movie. Um, more, um, what is the word? Um, like it seems to be more in the film than right. like. I mean, they always always have his his CDs or his cassettes uh, that that he's playing or whatever. In this case, it's a Zoom, right? But. Um, it feels like there's more diegetic uh, right. music in this one um, than some of the other ones. But yeah, it's And it's used very to really good. good effect, both with the opening scene and the closing scene, where this character, one of the characters, takes his journey to where the very beginning is, I'm a loser, I'm a creep, and then by the end of it, they're able to just go, no, this is me. Also, they fix the Drax character. I feel like... Um, they lost their way with the Drax character between the first movie and now mm-hmm. uh, through the specials and where they show up elsewhere right. and in the second movie. Um, they introduce him as a species that does not understand um, non-literal language, mm-hmm. analogies, metaphors, things like yeah. that. They lose that for humor in some of the yeah, middle things. They bring it back explicitly here and I really think that the Drax character gets a really good sort of button on his character. Because yeah. they also bring back the fact, if you'll recall from the first one, he became Drax the Destroyer 
because his family was murdered right. in front of him. Exactly. He didn't want to be a destroyer. He wanted to be a dad. <laughs> like, and I feel like we really went away from that for a long time. And a lot of like, like he would make jokes where I was like, that's not a joke that right. that character would make. That's a metaphor. And they really went back to the roots of that character this time and um, and really stayed true to that right. original thing. And I, I really, I, so I appreciated yeah, that. Yeah, it was amazingly well-written. And I think that part of it was the idea that you had one single guy working on all three of these films. That and he helps. was able to sort of put almost Artur theory into it. No, I'm going to inject this with a consistency that I can see from beginning to end. Yeah. And, and it really did work. I was amazed by how good it was yeah i was um i'd been warned mm-hmm. hey if you don't like animal abuse maybe skip it right so i was trepidatious but i'm glad that i saw and it And it winds up being very pro animal life yeah yeah yeah. and Peta, i guess is like no oh, yeah. watch this movie but like it's fucking rough the watch of it a lot of it is really hard to take um on purpose right I mean, um, you wind up caring for the animals in this film because of what's done to them. And I don't want to go into it too much. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it, it, you, yeah, I don't want to spoil it. because Yeah, some no, that's fine. Things happen at the end of the film that are actually really good about the respect for all life. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, no, it's a, that's a good one. So, do you have something you'd like to recommend? I don't know. Mm. If you like, here's the thing that I'm, like, obsessed with. I'm putting it on the background while I work. Uh, on Showtime, there's a show called Couples Therapy about couples in therapy. Weird, right? Yeah. It's, it's a real couples therapist. Um, and there are... I found out today... <laughs> I'm watching the third season. I've never seen any of it before. So I started with season three, like you do. And uh, the first nine episodes were four couples. Mm-hmm. And now the second nine episodes of the season are mm-hmm. different four couples. Um, it's fucking fascinating. Really? It's, I don't think it's exploitive. Mm-hmm. exploitative. Now, I'm not one of these couples. They may think right. differently, but I don't think so because... There's been three seasons, so presumably that the the couples in the third season have seen the previous seasons and didn't feel like they were going to be in danger by putting themselves on this show. And, you know, because it's obviously cut. We're not seeing the entire session or anything like that. But um, it's really interesting as a person who's interested in relationship dynamics that's just a thing that's interesting to me um to watch people like understand and see like oh my mother was withholding and so now i seek out relationships with people who withhold it makes me anxious i'm doing it because that's what I think love is. Right. If I fix the way that, <laughs> like, and that's like that's big stuff, and it's real. Yeah. It's really interesting, and I think it 
like I said, it handles the people with grace. Even the people that I'm like, I don't fucking like you. I'm like, this, all of this is your fault. And that never stays, that ne I never stay, think that the whole time. And by the end of the, the arc with them, I'm like, okay, they're just, everybody's just doing their best out mm -hmm. here. Like, we're doing our best. So I really like the show. Um, and it's like half an hour episodes. Like I said, there are 18 in the third season. So mm -hmm. that's how long it is. But I think it's really interesting. Okay. If you like that sort of thing, I understand that's not everybody's Sometimes it can be very interesting. Cup of tea. So maybe I'll try it. But, uh. And to see into sort of relationships that you don't, you've never been a part of. There's been, so far, there's been two lesbian relationships. There's a lesbian relationship in the first chunk, and then there's one in the second as well. So there are gay relationships as well as straight relationships. There are people who want to act, who either have been polyamorous in the back or want to open their relationship up. There's stuff with cheating. Um, there's stuff like it's, there's stuff with cheating where, the person doing the cheating doesn't even think like in those terms. Right. So we have somebody who's upset by a behavior that the other one doesn't even like acknowledge is a behavior. Mm. It's wild. Um, and then you also see her meeting with her mentor talking through these cases to get sort of more insight. And then her talking to a group of couples counselors where they bring, mm cases to discuss to get more information which i didn't realize therapists do but that makes perfect sense to me mm. um so it was cool to see that aspect of of therapy and what they do i have friends that are therapists and clients that are therapists um so it's a and i you know minored in psychology so i thought i maybe want to be a therapist so that the the sort of workplace side of it uh -huh. is also interesting mm. to me. So, yeah. So, I really like it. So, that's okay. couples therapy. It's on Showtime. I was getting a bunch of it in my feed, in my um, TikTok feed. And so, I was like, well, let me check out an episode. And then I was like, yoink, hooked. Hooked. I watched six episodes the first time I watched a episode. So, all right. That's it. Next week, The Fugitive. Fugitive. It wasn't him. Yep. It was the one-armed one -armed man. man. You find that man. That guy. Uh, and if you have questions, comments, or concerns, in the meantime, you can find us uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, and via email at latecomerspod at gmail.com. Uh, I would like to remind you to please take your medicine. I got a new one recently, so now I'm taking two. Mm. Join me, won't you? And we'd like to remind you... Better late than never. never.